Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Healthcare Whisperer Radio Show. My name is Hari Kulsa, and I am your host. I am a nurse practitioner, patient advocate, and president of Healthcare Whisperer. Uh, you can locate me on all social media at Twitter at H-A-R-I-K-1-0-8, on Facebook at Hari Kulsa, and uh, or on Facebook you can go to Healthcare Whisperer. I'm also on LinkedIn, so just look for me. I'm all there. You can find me. Now this show, um, for those of you who haven't listened and this is your first time, is about providing information and tips on how to successfully get through the healthcare system. And as you know, that's just can be so daunting at times, scary, and sometimes it takes a lot of courage to overcome the barriers. So this uh, show gives you some helpful hints. Um, before we get to my guest, who I'm incredibly excited about having, um, I wanted to let everybody know uh, that on October 19th in Austin, Texas, I'm going to be doing a conference called Patient Advocate, Being a Voice for Patients to Provide Healthcare Solutions. And it's from 8.30 to 3.00, and it really is about why advocates are needed in this changing healthcare landscape. So if you want, I'm also donating all the fees to an organization called URR Hope, which is a not-for-profit that helps people who have rare and undiagnosed illnesses find solutions. So you can go to their website and register. It's you, the letter U, the letter R, and then R-O-U-R-Hope.org, and go to the events page and sign up and come on down to Austin. Austin's a great place. And I've been told there's no football games that day, so you won't get stuck in traffic too bad. Um, the other thing I want to do before we begin is just send out my heartfelt uh, sympathies to those persons, those family members who lost loved ones at the Navy Yard. It's just so heartbreaking, once again, to have to to see this, to see the pain and suffering on families. And just know that you are in my prayers as well in the country's prayers for for your family members. Um, so... Also, if you want to call in, and I encourage everyone to call in because this is a great show, uh, 805-830-8363. Now, let's get to it because this is going to be great. My guest today is Pat Rulo, and she is an amazing, incredible patient safety advocate and healthcare advocate. She wrote this wonderful book called Speak Up and Stay Alive. And that book, uh, she wrote the book from the experience with her mother while she was in the hospital. It was like a deer in headlights learning how to help her mother who was in a very dire situation. And she wrote this book. It really is an amazing survival uh, manual. Uh, she speaks nationally on patient safety issues. She um, speaks uh, to doctors, nurses, and basically anyone who will take the time to listen. She's very well known. 
Uh, she's done amazing work in getting the information out. Um, she is also the host of the Patient Safety Radio Show, which is uh, broadcast in Phoenix uh, and Cleveland. And besides all that, she's an avid kayaker and um, practices Tai Chi. So without further ado, because I'm very excited to get into it with her and talk about all those patient safety issues, I'm going to bring her on. So hi, Pat. (laughs) Hi, Hari. Thank you for asking me to be on your show. Oh, good, yeah. Before we begin, can you tell people, like, um, what radio stations and when they can listen to your show? Because everyone should take the time, you know, to, if they can, to listen to your show. It's amazing. And we're going to get to that in our in our conversation. But why don't you tell them the, the stations? Yeah, thanks, Hari. Uh, we are on three stations in Cleveland, Ohio. And we are on two stations in Phoenix, Arizona. And just recently got picked up for syndication, so... Beginning in October, we'll also be in Denver and two stations in Indianapolis, and they're putting the show out on satellite to be picked up by whatever 5,000 other radio stations might want to pick us up. So probably the best way to find out where you can hear us and when would be to go to our website because I've got those uh, specific radio stations and their call letters and and, uh, website addresses there, and that would be speakupandstayalive.com. Great, because that's what that's what we're here to talk about, speaking up and staying alive. Yay, that's Yay. Pat. She's doing it. <laughs> so before before we begin, um, as we begin, why don't you give people just a brief, you sh- uh, brief like uh, story of, about your mother and how you kind of got how this how you got into this. Well, I think. Ha- it is an interesting story because I didn't plan to get into it, and neither did my mom. It was just uh, <laughs> she, <laughs> one of those things. She fell at work and uh, crushed her shoulder that uh, couldn't be repaired. It had to be replaced. So she went in for a, a total reverse shoulder replacement, which was kind of a new procedure. It had only been done since 2004, and this was in 2008. And uh, during the recovery, she was having a heart attack for nine hours in the recovery room, and no one recognized that. Oh, so my God. It, yes. So if you know anything about heart, you know that time is muscle and you don't have nine hours to wonder what's going on. So therefore, she was in the hospital for another four months, fighting for her life on every piece of life support possible. And um, the day after the initial heart attack, a doctor who I did not know found me in the waiting room, pulled me aside and handed me a manila envelope and said, come with me. And he pulled me into a little conference room and said, this stinks and you need to do something about it. So with the, Oh, my God. Yeah. So with great fear and trepidation, I opened up this manila envelope, and inside were four EKG rhythm strips, the little squiggly lines on the paper, which I didn't know what it meant because I'm not a doctor. But I mm-hmm. didn't need to be because in the upper left-hand corner it had the time, and it was 10.53 the morning. She had just gotten out of the... Uh, shoulder surgery, and right across the top in English, it said, heart attack in progress. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, go on. (laughs) No, I was saying you didn't have to know how to read the thing because the next three rhythm strips said the same thing. So after I realized that this mistake had happened, I decided there's no way I'm leaving her, and uh, I spent the next four months in the hospital with her watching, asking, 
um, crying, begging, you know, doing all the things I had to do to make sure that nothing else untoward happened to her. So she did survive. She's still, she's still here, thankfully, and, uh, you know, somewhat compromised because of the situation. And I just decided one day that, you know, I can either be really angry and upset that this happened to her and this happened to us as a family, or I could try to do something about it and, and maybe lessen the chance that it would happen to someone else. And so that the book was born because of that, and then just things kind of evolved from there. Yeah, wow, that's a story. And, you know, I'd like to say that's a very unique story, but I think what you've come to find out is that it's not, that these right. things happen more frequently, or they happen, and they we don't hear about it. Would would you agree with that? Absolutely. I, I was just giving a, a speaking event two nights ago, and a gentleman raised his hand, and he's like, what kind of a hospital does this hap- This kind of thing happen? <laughs> like, well, you know, it can happen from a tiny little community hospital to the most well-known hospital that you can imagine, and it does, and it happens with regularity. You may not hear about it, but once you start to get, and you know this, once you start to get involved in the patient safety world, that's what you, you start hearing about it. Right, right. And, you know, there's a lot of, you know, chatter in the hospitals about how we're, you know, we're passing our safety, whatever, their their safety standards. But this stuff happens irregardless. I mean, it's it's a place where there's a lot of germs. There's a place where there's a lot of people and people make human errors. There's, you know, humans make errors. And they just, it, it happens. And what you decided was you were going to try to help decrease those moments. Right, because there's not bad people. I never say that the people are bad, but the systems and the processes sometimes are bad. Um, they're not set up in a way that, you know, the healthcare provider can succeed all of the time. And so I think, wow, there's so many hazards that are out there. If we don't even know what they are, we're in danger. If we know what they are but we don't know how they happen, we're also in danger. So th- I guess that's kind of my point, to make folks aware what they are, why they happen, and what we can do to avoid them uh, from happening to us or the people that we care for. Right. So so you you learned how to do a lot of things. You know, you hit the ground running, so to speak. You you became educated because you had to. Right. How, how was that, you know, for people who are listening, what was that like for you to have to just, like, make, like, figure things out as you, and ask the questions? You know, that's interesting because at the time you don't know that that's what you're doing. Um, oh, I was right. just trying to survive each day and hoping that, you know, I was doing the right things. But as I look back, I was watching people. I was taking notes, and when people would say something that, oh, I'm, I heard someone say she thinks she has Klebsiella, and I'm like, oh, what's, what's Klebsiella? And so I would write that down in the best way I could, you know, try to phonetically <laughs> spell it. Go right, home right. at night, you know, it was midnight, and I'm on the computer, and that pops up. I'm like, aha, I see what this is. It's you know, bacteria, and it, so you just kind of learn as you're as you're going along, and just try to do the best you can. In hindsight, I think everyone should. Think about being prepared for a hospital visit because you will witness that, whether it's you or with someone you love. I don't think any of us are going to get out of life without being in the hospital, either as a patient or as an advocate for someone we love. So I think preparation would be the best key. Preparation being having well, a just, list, looking, yeah. you know, no, yeah, things like yeah. that? 
Yeah, just yeah. knowing that these hazards are out there and, and, and maybe reading some books and, and talking to people and just realize, I tell people to pack a hospital bag, have that stashed in your closet so that if you do have it, a visit come up unexpectedly, you have your list of medications and you have the things that you might need, your, your um, health insurance cards and your pharmacy and your contact list and those type of things. That there's no way you're going to pull those together at the last minute. So, yeah, like anything else, I think being prepared for what probably may happen is, is a good idea. And any kind of education, we talk about e-patients, being mm-hmm. educated, right. empowered, um, equipped, enabled. I think it's, it behooves all of us to start that process now rather than when you, when you need it, because then it'll be too late. Excuse me. So I bet uh, when you talk to people and talk about this idea of the e-patient and being empowered as part of your, your, you know, your being a safe patient, I mean, it must come, for many people, that's a, a shock, you know, that they, can, that they actually can have a voice. I think so, because I think, the, I think we're trained, and the hospital cultures many times are such that we don't feel like we should have a voice, and we're so frightened to ask our healthcare provider any question, let alone to ask them, hey, would you mind washing your hands before you touch me? We've, we, that's kind of unheard of, and especially as we older people, you know, we're taught to be respectful. A doctor comes in and extends a hand. Hey, right. you're supposed to shake it, right? Right, not right, give them, right. Not give them the skull and crossbones and say, I'm not touching you until <laughs> you wash your hands. But, yeah, so it, it is a frightening concept to us. But um, I think hospitals are realizing that, or at least some of them are, and trying to change the culture to allow patients to have a voice and not scare us off when we do speak up. So, I mean, that's interesting. I don't know how much, I mean, I think it's happening a bit, but I think when push comes to shove, it doesn't always happen. Like when you're in crisis mode, the doctors kind of like look over their shoulder or not just say the doctors, but the medical staff. You know, I still think there's so, you know, there's still so much room for patients to know that at any given time in the family to say, whoa, stop, everybody stop. You know, yep. where we we want more information, or or you know, I I'm tired of you guys not washing your hands or whatever. I mean, they are better about that. I have to say, I'm pretty impressed. Mm-hmm. But you, you know what I'm saying? That I I still there's still it's we still have a ways to go, and people like you are helping that. Well, and I agree. I just got a phone call today. Some gal who listens to the show. She called me and said, I'm looking after an older friend. I went to I keep visiting her, her in a nursing home. And um, she's, they, they keep giving her psychotropic drugs, antidepressant drugs, and Ugh. she's getting to the point, yeah, where she's someplace else. She hardly knows what's going on. And her legal guardian is an attorney who will not get back to her. And, and so she didn't know which way to turn. And I asked her, is, is this gal cognizant enough to say to the healthcare providers, I do not want to take that particular medication? She said, yes, right now she is, but she doesn't. Yeah, and she's right. afraid. You know, they come in and say, "Here's your medication, Mrs. So and So," and even though she doesn't want to take it, she doesn't ask questions and she takes it, but then complains to the friend, and the friend is seeing the side effects. So, yeah, I think we as patients, we still have a far distance to go to feel empowered enough to say, "Why am I taking that? What are the side effects? What are the consequences? What happens if I don't take it?" Right. Instead of, "Oh, honey, it'll help you." 
Yes. <laughs> you know, it's I mean, so, I... Yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 so it's painful to watch. Yeah, yeah go ahead. I, I'm sorry. I, no, no, I agree. I, I think we, we as patients need to step up and stand up and speak up. Right, right. So let's so speaking up, your your book, just take let's take a, a you know, I want to tell people this is an an amazing manual to have. Um it gives you so much good information um on on what to look for, you know, and how to react and 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 what, you know, what questions to ask because that's the other thing I find people can't don't know what to ask, so they don't ask anything or they just say oh, okay mm-hmm. you know so um why don't you talk a little bit about how the, the your book because it's it's been out for what a couple of years now yeah 2012 january of uh, 2012 it's been out that couple years and right. it's broken down into different about 17 different healthcare hazards hospital hazards i should say and things that people don't even think about well yeah we think about infections and that's actually something we can help do something about because we can insist people wash their hands but medication errors to know what medications we're taking and why but things like malnutrition people don't think that that would even happen in a hospital and the whole dietary and nutritional scene can can many times be incorrect for your diagnosis so that's something to think about so there's 17 different hazards i also have a chapter on women because now that i know about heart attacks in women there are many other uh, diseases and diagnoses that women have that kind of present themselves differently than men, mm-hmm. especially seniors. I have a chapter on seniors. As we get older, we mm-hmm. face different problems. Children uh, and also veterans. As I was doing my research, I realized, wow, veterans and their caretakers have a complete different set of um, situations just given the type of uh, post-traumatic stress that they might have and brain uh, brain problems that you know the normal average civilian might not have, and then I've got a chapter on alternative and holistic uh, healing, and, and you know I do Tai Chi, but things like yoga and breathing and different mind body things that we can do to recover faster or perhaps stay out of the hospital. Right, right, and it's uh, I really recommend it. I I like to give it to my um, my patients who are going to the hospital and you know maybe going to we know they're going to be there for you know the for the surgery and it might be a week you know even though they try to move you in and out pretty fast um I just like it and people the responses and I just want to tell my listeners is is really great because it 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 just gives great information on on on, on just basic ways to keep everybody safe in the hospital and another cool thing, Hari, that I didn't plan on, but the cover of the book is kind of in your face. Yeah, and it is. <laughs> the day after, two or three days after it came out, I was at a speaking event. This gal bought the book and then apparently had emergency gallbladder surgery. So she told me a week later she took the book to the hospital with her, thinking she was going to be able to read it, but didn't have time. So she just laid it on her tray table. <laughs> she said people came in, the providers would come in and say, what's that? And she was then able to open up the conversation and say, you know, I'm concerned about healthcare-acquired infections, you know, wrong site surgeries, malnutrition, uh, medication mm-hmm. errors, adverse medical uh, medication events. And so, I think anything a person can do 
to stand out and be different when they are in a hospital and not necessarily even have to verbalize it. Hey, it's sitting right there. It's going to generate some kind of comments, and uh, it, it, it allows you as the patient to start that conversation, which I think is extremely important. It is. It is because you want you want to be able to interact with the team that comes in, and you want to feel that you can ask the questions, and 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 just you know you want to feel supported that way. So, um, yeah, that's that's great. And I just have to tell everyone the picture. If if you can go to Pat's website, you can see a picture. The picture on the front cover. It's 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 pretty good. <laughs> it's like people screaming. You know, like characters. It's really great. It's really kind, great. <laughs> kind of silly, kind of silly, but you know what? It makes a point. Somebody said to put a stethoscope or an EKG. I'm like, no, let's just do something a little strange. <laughs> let's do something more pat-like, right? You got it. <laughs> But I remember one th- one thing that you told me when we when you were on before, which I think is really important that you learned is to know when to talk. You know, I've been saying, oh, you know, we want to be able to talk, but I think that's something that you know, developing relations. You were there for four months, so you were mm-hmm. like part of the crew. But yeah. it's something that you really worked on, I think. Am I correct Absolutely. with that? Absolutely. And, you know, relationships get you everywhere, no matter where you are in life. It really is all about relationships, So, especially in a hospital. And it's easy for them, for you, to kind of come off as maybe being demanding and arrogant. So you do have to work hard to be respectful and ask questions. And ask, I think, in a manner, I, I, I reverted to this many times, where I would just say, can you please help me? Can you please help me and my mom? And, you know, if you ask that way, you genuinely need help. People are nine times out of ten aren't going to turn you down. And then if they do, then you can start to get big and fluff your feathers and posture. But until then, (laughs) I think it's very important to be polite, to dress somewhat respectfully and, and look the part of an intelligent, empowered person and let them know that you are informed and that you plan on being informed and that you do need their help. So, yeah, it's a whole kind of a game that you do have to play to um, become part of the group and be viewed as part of a team and not as an adversary. And, you know, you want to stand out, but not in a bad way. And I always tell the story how this one family on the floor where my mom was in the rehabilitation center, they stood out, but in a bad way. The guy would take the silverware every time he got served a meal and stash it in his bed. So whenever he needed help, instead of calling and speaking nicely, he would take the fork or the spoon or knife and wing it out the door to get attention. <laughs> I'm like, oh no, doesn't oh, work. Oh my goodness, you must you must hear so many stories. Um, I mean, that's I mean, but that's something you saw. But that's hysterical. It is crazy. So that's a way not to stand out, right? <laughs> right, <laughs> right. I would say that doesn't work as well. Um, but relationships so, are important, and knowing how to build relationships and become a partner with your healthcare providers. And like I said, if they then don't allow it, then then you do what you have to do to get your point across. Right, right. And you felt that they, I mean, was there ever a time where you felt they just didn't listen to you? Yes, there were many times, and there were many people <laughs> in particular that didn't. And when that happened, then there were on occasions where I flat out would go to whoever the supervisor was and say, you know what, 
I don't want this person in our room anymore. I don't want her taking care of my mom. There was one gal in particular. My mom had a tracheostomy, so obviously she's gagged and bound and unable to speak. And this particular gal would say to her, I can't understand your gibberish. Oh, okay, well, yeah, we don't need you in our room. So, yeah, I think there, there definitely are times when if you feel that you're not getting the respect or people are not listening to you the way that you you should be listened to, then you do something about it. Oh my goodness, that's Yeah. That's crazy, but you know, that's that's also it's amazing to me that in a hospital in a in a situation you're you're going to have you're going to have that. You're going to have people who are just so compassionate and loving and then you're going to have the the nurse from you know where come in and just you know give you the hardest time, and you're thinking, why are you doing that? Yeah, you know and I, you I know, see it all the time. And what's so sad for the hospital is that's what we remember. Right. That's what we as patients remember. You know, you talk about the patient experience. Well, everything could be beautiful and wonderful, but what stands out? Just that one person, that one situation that was you know a little unsavory and that's what people remember. So I think it's really hard on the on the provider's side to to provide a seamless experience that that's, you know, everyone's satisfied at the end of the day. So they've got they've got their they've got their challenges, I'm sure. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And you know, with some hospital seniority and union you know, I mean I love unions, but sometimes it's just the nature of the beast. It's it's mm-hmm. it's a world unto itself. It's a little it's a you know, it's a little city and its own little, you know, in the hospital there with all its cultural dynamics. Very true. Um, and we're not part of that. We don't know we don't know that. And so when you enter you're going into a foreign land. Mhm. Mhm. And even here in Boston where I've got four big major hospitals, you know, mm-hmm. Mass General, Brigham, Beth Israel, Dana. Yeah, I mean we've got and just a lot of hospitals. Each one is so different mm-hmm. when you walk in the culture. Yeah. So it's like you have to kind of get your balance. I have to say to myself, okay, Sam, I'm going to Brigham. Okay, okay, so i got to think about this. You know, this is how they do it. You know, That's and very interesting, and you you get to see that. I never really thought about that, and especially where you're living. Yeah, you, you, you've got four different uh, north, south, east, and west, right? Yeah, there is like hospital row, except for Mass <laughs> General, which is on the other side of town, but... Yeah, it's very interesting to me, and it, it's it's sometimes it's scary because some of the hospitals just don't. You walk in and you're like, okay, this hospital isn't noticing that there's really people here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? yeah. And then there was one hospital that I went to, and I went to the information. And I was looking for this one doc, and she goes, "Are you?" Sure? And I thought he, he he actually was a neuro doc, and he practiced, but in the ortho offices this big clinic mm-hmm. and she and I said oh he's a neuro and and she says oh no doctor she knew exactly who I meant she was right there it's like she'd been there her whole life and I <laughs> thought this is someone when I come will know exactly where every little piece of everything is in this hospital yeah and that See? that was that was nice sure that was comforting yeah yeah <laughs> somebody cared somebody knew what was going on in the hospital yeah. paid attention yeah. to their job yeah so um you know, I just I want to. This is an experience that I think that you've had many, many times too. But and and I and I just want you to kind of comment on it because I just got a new client. Um, caregivers called, and the 
they're telling me the story, and we're talking like someone who's been in the hospital for four months, and I'm hearing the story, and I'm seeing in my mind's eye, without even seeing the person, that this is a hospital-acquired infection that's gone crazy. Wow. You know, and, and I have to be, you know, my first thought is, oh, my God, this is, you know, <laughs> I want to say that, but I have to temper it. I mean, you must, you know, like, what do you what do you say to people when you hear that story? What's the first thing you say to them, like a story like that, where you know this is hospital-driven, like oh. this is some, yeah, what do you say? Well, yeah, well, like what you want to say and what you have to say are probably <laughs> two different things. I, I hear you. You know, I guess if it was my yeah, – you'd have, probably have to look at it as if it was happening to your mom or something. Okay, then, then how would you react to that? And Somehow you've got to get to the heart of the matter. And I don't know, pulling pulling medical records to see what exactly was done, would that be a start just to see where yeah. and what's been going on with this person? Um, yeah. And then starting maybe with some – key conversations with some of the providers who may seem a little more talkative than others and and I I found that during my mom's day there were a few that were very willing to pull me aside or allowed me to pull them aside to say hey what's really going on here and sometimes they Uh said you know you have to get your mom out of here today because of this this and this so maybe you can find some kind people that know what went on because i'm sure people do know what went on mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. i don't know when when the point is then you bring in like the legal i i you've got to tread pretty lightly with that i think as a as an advisor now maybe if it if it was a family you might be able to hit it a little harder huh yeah 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 i i, I always kind of cringe when when uh i have this one client who likes to point out the liability issues <laughs> And I'm always like, okay, that's yeah. one way to get the doctors to really slow down slow and back out. Exactly. <laughs> but you know, and uh, but no, that's exactly what you have to do for someone like me or an advocate or any family member. Get real information. That's what mm-hmm. I'm always telling people. Yep. And get those medical records. Look at what's going on and try to make a connection with the information because right. again. You know, you're talking to multiple doctors who are specialties. They'll say, "Well, that's not my area." Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's like so a puzzle, it, isn't it? It is. It is. Yeah. It is. And and I'm sure that I mean, you mentioned like kind of what in your book you talk about the whole idea of a hospital acquired infection, and and I think that's something that everybody has to keep in mind. You know, <clears throat> but yeah, it, it it can boil down to a legal issue. But I try to get the person out before. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's the last choice. That's not something that you do for fun. That's not done in folly or anything. But, you know, I think at the end of the line, if, you know, you find that and you find that nobody is going to give you any information or help you out and you have a pretty good idea of what happened, you know, I've interviewed folks from uh, Beth Israel uh, on several occasions to talk about the whole, and I think Massachusetts is really doing a great job with the um, disclosure, apology, and resolution or communication to right. say, hey, when these things happen, it's not a time to run away. That's the time to bring all the parties together and say, gee, we're sorry this happened. You don't have to admit guilt, but say, we're sorry this happened to you or your mom or dad. Now let's try to figure out what and why 
so the patient could feel that, yeah, it's not going to happen to someone else. And then if it does get down to some kind of financial resolution, well then, hey, take care of that within the four hospital walls and, and don't allow it to get ugly and, and deny and go into, you know, five years of struggle. So um, I think there's a lot that hospitals can do to mitigate that, and, and I think it actually lessens the chance of legal avenues and lawsuits. At least that's what they, they've told me. I, yeah, I think I, I think it is. Um, unfortunately, it's still going to you know it's taking a lot more education. People are still very scared. You know, oh, for sure. nurses and doctors is they're very frightened to make that step. And um, you know it, but it's a, you ha, it's you know just decades of not doing that of closing ranks. Right. And now in Massachusetts, it is possible to do it and. The other law that's really great and that's attached to that is that if it was a preventable incident, which would be, you know, if something goes wrong in surgery, something, you know, hospital-acquired infection, that once it's deemed that by the public health or by an official person, then the hospital becomes absolutely responsible for everything. For the financial side of it as well, yeah. Yes. You're not billed yes. for that, is that correct? Right, yeah. right, exactly. Exactly. Does that fall under the old never event? Uh, I'm not sure so about the, that. The, the Medicare has the list of never events that should never happen, and therefore Medicare doesn't pay. I'm sure some. Uh, I think it, I that. think it goes a little bit further than Beyond that, that, but generally, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 because it's um, yeah. I, I mean, things like I recently had a, a. It was the first, and it actually just went into law a year ago, January. And I was cracking up because I was sitting in the room with the medical director and the CEO with my client because there had been a mistake in surgery. And they were acting like they were being very helpful and the hospital is going to do this because we, you know, we're good hospital. And I was like, this is the law. <laughs> Hello, it's the law. <laughs> yeah. So, you know. But the anyway. average patient wouldn't know that, right? So they're thinking that a good no. deed was done. Yeah, yeah, and of course my client was like, "All right, yeah, sure." I've got Harry on my side. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was great. I loved it. You know, I love those kind of things. But um, well, you're good at it. You're good at it. Oh, thanks, thanks. Well, I wanted to get back to your show. What's some of the great? Yeah, I mean, I have to tell everyone, Pat has an incredible show, and if you get a chance to listen to it, I, I would because she's got great guests. So what are some of the really good guests that, that like, kind of threw you, not threw you, but you were like, wow, that's absolutely incredible? Well, to start with you. <laughs> there you go. You could come and on. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yay. Be sure to let everyone know that you are a weekly two-minute guest expert. So every week we've got the Healthcare Whisperer on the show, and I think that's awesome. I, I've had so much positive response and feedback from your segments. So. You're my first. Thank you. Thank you yes. very much. Okay. <laughs> after then, after me. After if, Hari, yeah. you know we've had some really cool people, and 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 folks always ask, well, gee, how'd you get them? I'm like, well, I asked them, <laughs> and it <laughs> yeah, was pretty right. simple. Um, but we had we had Dr. Lucian Leap, and I thought that was a you know he's one of the big founders of the whole patient safety movement, the Leapfrog Group, and and uh, who else we had? Um, Paul Levy, the former. CEO of Beth Israel, who was known for his transparency for his blog that right, uh, right, right. in real time 
talked about what was going on, good and bad, in the hospital. This Saturday, we've got Dr. Peter Pronovost, so that's pretty exciting as well. He's and who's, the, who's he? He is from Johns Hopkins, and he actually won an award by Time Magazine, one of the top 100 most influential people in the world, uh, specifically for his work in patient safety, and he won a MacArthur Genius Grant for the oh, checklist. Right. Yeah, the checklist he, he was he, a... Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, the checklist that he put in place in the ICU for um, right. catheter-associated and, and, and central line infections, and he, he he really reduced the infection rates down to pretty much zero at a hospital in Michigan due to his his work with the checklist. So that was uh, that's been a real honor to speak with him. So I've got a two-part interview with him and. Uh, well, wow, oh, Jason Wolf from Barrel Institute, just a whole line of people. Yeah, it's been it's been great to have that caliber of guest on the show. But then what I always love to have it be a balanced show. I've got people from, you know, down the street who have been patients and have stories and so we balance it with real people, with real stories and then you know I think you've played some of our crazy games like fear the wheelchair and squeak up and stay alive and yeah, I like that one. <laughs> is it a shock or is it a crock? So we balance the show out with the serious and the sublime and the ridiculous and <laughs> roll it into one. Well, that's great, and I, I really encourage everyone to listen to it. It's it, And you, they can get um, links online. Is that yes. also true? Yeah. 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 Every, every, as soon as the show airs on the weekend, then there is a link to the show. And what we do is create actually a YouTube video. So then we put some pictures of, ourselves in the studio people could see what we look like and we put pictures and photos and logos of all of our guests so that it's kind of a multi-dimensional media they can listen and watch at the same time so yeah each week and they could see the and listen to the show and our there's also archives of all of our past shows on the website speakupandstayalive.com Oh great! Yeah, it's great. I I definitely encourage it. So so I know that you know with your um, focus on patient safety, it's uh, and we were sort of chatting about this beforehand. Um, it's been a, an ongoing, evolving uh, journey for you in looking at where the issues are with patient safety. So where are you now? What 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 are you looking at in terms of? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, 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 no. I just was wondering where are you in your journey for finding for helping us all and getting you know really digging and finding the information that we need to keep our, ourselves safe. Many of the show's central theme is about hospital safety. Then it travels into healthcare safety, and just recently, this last late summer. I moved into the the radiation aspect of what's going on, not wanting to or not even thinking about it, when one afternoon I came home and there was a door hanger, a little piece of paper hanging on my, well, it wasn't even hanging on the door, it was just thrown on the mat. And it said in big, bold letters, good news, Um, you've been selected to get a smart meter, brand new smart meter installed on your home. And I had heard about that, and I thought, well, I don't know. Just because someone tells me it's good news doesn't necessarily mean <laughs> that it is. Um, right. And just because you call something smart doesn't necessarily mean that it is. And so I did a little research on it, and, oh, my, what I found out just kind of opened the floodgates about the dangers of these smart meters and what they really are and what they really mean. And obviously that led to discussions about 
RF frequencies, the radio frequencies, and radiation, and then that led to to cell phones and to talk about that and CAT scans and just the the amount and the cumulative effects of radiation that each of us are subjected to and what that really means to our health and what we're not being told. And that so, has just opened a floodgate. So so the floodgates open. What tell us some of the things that you've discovered in terms of you know our safety, you know, well what you've discovered particularly, you know, you know like with the with with the, the information that you've uncovered. Well, what, what I've discovered is that people aren't letting us know what we need to know, such as the smart meters. Those are those d- digital utility meters that are being swapped out throughout the world. Um, they're replacing our old analog meter, where you had the meter reader come and read it, and they're right. switching it for this smart meter, which is a digital utility meter that now nobody has to read it because through radio frequency waves it's going to send remotely your data usage to the utility company, which now gives them the opportunity to, especially once people start installing smart appliances, which they're selling all over the place, smart dishwashers, smart washer and dryer and refrigerators and TVs. Now the utility company can communicate with our appliances and perhaps shut them off, dictate usage, um, and it wow. kind of has become an invasion of privacy, and many many people are upset about that. And the utility companies are what they call deploying it, which is kind of an interesting word to use, as if it's some sort of a military um, strategy to deploy these smart meters without <laughs> anyone's consent. Many states wow. are offering an opt out, but then they're saying if you want to opt out, you have to pay for it. So wow. it's just. It's been an interesting uh, set of information because it's not just the radiation. Now we're talking about privacy concerns where the utility company could actually monitor our activities and, you know, how far does that go and where does that take us. Right, so that's a, that's like an NSA issue in itself, a- you know. Yeah, <laughs> a- absolutely. And then, then you talk about cell phones because that's another, you know, another way that we do receive radiation and, Wow, that technology has come along so quickly that I don't think anyone has had time to catch their breath to think, what is all of this wireless technology really doing to our health? And we, everything is Wi-Fi. Schools are Wi-Fi. Hospitals are Wi-Fi. Homes. Um, these giant 4G cell phone towers and you know, digital uh, the, the uh, digital phones. I mean, everything we have today: computers, iPads, and people are sleeping with their cell phones and getting access to all of this RF radiation frequency that, uh, you know, we're finding more and more people have autism, more and more people have Alzheimer's is becoming almost epidemic. And, um, you know, I think a lot of it, according to research and studies, is because of the exceeding amounts of radiation that people are are, are, uh, subjected to. Right, and it's such a um, controversial er uh, topic and area. Um, uh, you want to comment on that? I mean, I know there are well, people who just poo-poo it. Yeah, well, I think it's easy to poo-poo because we've gotten so attached to our technology so quickly. And mm-hmm. I think the people that really poo-poo it are perhaps people that have, you know, the dog in the race. If you want to really look at it, go to, if you still have it, the information that you got with your cell phone. There is a mandatory warning that comes with all cell phones 
mandatory by the FCC that says if you receive texts or calls while the cell phone is on your body, you are exposed to higher than safe levels of radiation, unless, of course, you're using a certain kind of approved enclosure, a little strap thing. How many people do that? And so it makes you wonder, if there is a mandatory warning, they wouldn't put that on if they weren't trying to cover something. You know, they're trying to cover some kind of liability, if it was completely safe. And so the thing is, the question people have to ask is, how much radiation am I? have I been exposed to in the past? I mean, do you get routine CAT scans and dental x-rays and you're sleeping with your phone and you're always on your computer? Maybe it's an issue. Maybe you don't use your cell phone very much, but you live underneath a cell phone tower. I mean, so it's not any one thing that's bad. It's what your cumulative effects are and what you are subjected to as an individual. And I think people don't think about that, don't want to. It's like antibiotics. You take it, you didn't fall over, so I'm, it must be okay. <laughs> so so what are some of the um, – are, are we actually seeing symptomology? You mentioned Alzheimer's. Um, they're doing studies on this and is, is yeah. and, and yeah. are there other kind of symptomology that – people are that we're seeing that's being reported absolutely and in many countries such as france germany india even the toronto department of public health put out a warning that to reduce these rf fields that especially young people should limit their exposure and their use of cell phones because of of the inherent danger and especially little children i mean their mm-hmm. their skulls and their skin are, and their brain matter is thinner how many little infants do you see playing with the playing with the phones and so i think that's something that people need to think about need to consider and then the other day on the news i saw as if it was just such an exciting revelation some gentlemen developed smart pajamas <laughs> they're all impreg the pajamas are like impregnated with these codes and now the parent just takes their smartphone and scans the child's pajamas and the smartphone will tell a Bed night, bedtime story or a lullaby and so then you just put your child to bed with the cell phone and the smart pajamas and you don't have to do anything like read a story and you've oh got the goodness. technology and meantime you're bathing the child with radiation waves. So I think it's getting to the point where it's out of hand and people really uh-huh. need to stop and think, alright, what can I do to at least think about this or perhaps reduce their exposure? Wow, this is, uh, it's really opening my eyes. Um, I just think, you know, because, like, I, I really don't think about it. and But yet, when you point it out, I'm like, yeah, okay. I know that every time I go to the dentist, I'm like, you're not doing x-rays unless you really have to. <laughs> and that's, that's a good thing. I, I just read about that, that the days of every six months just because is long gone, and that unless you have a symptom, you really don't need the bite-wing x-rays. I think there was a recent study that anyone who has had bite-wing x-rays are at a greater risk for developing a brain tumor than those who have never had them. So, um, yeah, Whoa. I think any time anytime we can avoid that, we can mm-hmm. and we should. And, and with cell phones, I mean, there's a lot of things you can do. You could turn them off. Um, uh-huh. You could put them on airplane mode, which still emits some frequency, lower frequencies, but not as much. Um, and not to keep it in your pocket. There have been studies on fertility studies and sperm count and sperm motility um, on on men that carry the 
cell phone on their belt, um, and, and it's shown that that's, that has created a problem for them. People have sleep disturbances because they sleep with that uh, with their cell phones and iPads, so it does impact sleep. Well, um, I just can't imagine sleeping with my phone. I no, oh, it's not never going to happen. Lots of people do, and that it's safer to text. That way, it uses less signal power. Or to mm-hmm. use the speakerphone and hold it away from you so that you're really not putting it against your ear. Mm-hmm. And if you have to put it against your ear, switch sides. I've read mm-hmm. not to use it in your car or anywhere like an elevator because then those frequencies bounce around and can't get out, and so they're going through you instead of out. Wow. Yeah, it's been very interesting. I, I think I think that cell phones in the future someday long down the line is going to be somewhat similar to um, what we found with the tobacco industry, you know, that uh, people that passive cigarette smoke was dangerous, they're probably going to someday say that passive cell phone radiation pollution is a problem and, you know, you go into a restaurant and someone's on their cell phone, you'll be able to yell at them and say, hey, look, you're contaminating me. Um, maybe not in the near future, but you know it could be because I think I think it's something people have underestimated. It's happened so quickly; people really don't know what the long-term ramifications are. And like I said, just because you don't fall over today doesn't mean you're not being affected. Well, so it's very subtle because it's yes. not something that you know. Um, it's it's not something like it's not like you get it's not like you are been exposed to a, a nuke or something, you know, a, a bomb where you get Absolutely. the radiation poisoning, but it's a very subtle and slow um, uh, 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 symptomology or something that's happening. I mean, you look at Alzheimer's, we're in, in exploding mm-hmm. with Alzheimer's. I mean, it's scary to me to see all the people and the misdiagnosis, well, that's a whole other issue, the misdiagnosis around Alzheimer's, but um, yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah. it's 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 pretty amazing. I I haven't talked about this and I'm I'm it, it's like hard for me to honestly to sort of wrap my mind around it. I, I can see where the, you know you have a moment. You must have had an aha moment where you went, "Whoa." Yes, because I too was one of those people that poo-pooed it. Like because you know, obviously you're getting just a small amount, but a small amount and a small amount and it all adds up. And so mm-hmm. how much radiation is too much, you know? And then people that get these CAT scans, that was amazing to me that there's these freestanding clinics that offer full-body CAT scans to make sure you don't have something. It's like, right. oh, my gosh, you know, people don't know that one CT abdomen scan equals 234 chest X-rays. I mean, that's it's huge. <gasps> wow. Yeah. 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 And, oh, dear. And when people are in the hospital... They're getting cat, you know. They're getting scans, especially people where they can't figure out what's going on. Yep. They're getting scans and scanned and scanned. And I know that some of the hospitals are trying to minimize that. I actually had a uh, resident say to me, "Well, do you think we could like put this off because you know she's already had one, and I'm really concerned." And I thought, "Whoa, this is good." <laughs> that <laughs> is good, good, and I, that's very smart. People should keep and get copies of their results on CAT scans and always ask that question, can we do an MRI or can we do an ultrasound? Is there another way to diagnose what's going on without Mm -hmm. the use of X-ray? And just what you said, hey, I just had one recently. Can we reread that and, you know, maybe use another diagnostic tool? But I think surveys and tests were done. People don't even know, a great majority of people don't know that CT scans deliver uh, radiation. Just don't know. Right, and they're sort of the um, 
the scan of choice by the insurance companies. That's the thing that always gets me. They're not going to let you get an MRI. They've set this, like, standard of care. You know, X-ray with with many disease processes, and then CT, and then, okay, we'll do an MRI just, you know, because we can't really see that tumor 100%. So, you know, they should have just gone to the MRI, but they don't. Right, right. And I I also heard that uh, I read many places that, Obese people, and I never thought about this. If you have an obese patient, they have to set that that level higher to scam the person because there's more body fat to go through, and therefore obese folks are getting a huge percentage more radiation than a thinner person might. Wow. Yeah, and I thought that was wow. that was amazing to me. And the other amazing thing I, I have been researching was that there's only four known CT programs for clinical competency um, in the country. So about 95% of the technicians get their training on the job. Oh, my. Which is another frightening spot as well. So, I mean, I think it behooves us as a patient to ask those questions before we get the CT exam and ask the hospital or the doctor, hey, you know, what level are you setting this at? Can it be set at a lower level? I'm a thin person or my child is a, you know, the young person. It's not, shouldn't be the same level as for a 200-pound man. And what is your background and credentials? I mean, is this the first time you're doing this or? Wow, because, because here's the reality. They could have it set wrong. I see that all the time and they say, oh, they're, they, you know, it just didn't, we have to do it again. And you say, why? Well, it just, it wasn't a good, what the, 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 Response is always, well, they didn't get a good, they didn't position them right or something. Absolutely. I think that happened at Cedar uh-huh. sinai yeah, Cedars-Sinai uh-huh. Hospital, where they uh-huh. were set for a year, or year and a half at too high, and about 206 patients received CT brain scans that were exposed to like eight times the normal radiation dose, and uh, nobody knew about it until they were burned, and I think there was a whole class action suit against that. So, I mean, it happens, and people need to just be aware of everything at every turn. Wow, wow. Um, I can't believe we're getting to the end. Talking to you is like, I, I mean, it's, oh, we, you know, we could go for another couple hours, but I guess we have lives, you know. And um, But um, one thing I've run into, and this is sort of an aside because this is different, people who get radiation for cancer, Yes. Which, you know, that's a, you know, that's different, but it's high doses. No, it is different, yeah. Yeah, but my point here is what we are learning that I'm seeing happening, that with just clients who have had radiation, the long-term effects of radiation, of uh, you know, for, you know, uh, oncology issues is really interesting. And I think, uh, I mean, I'm seeing... I've seen all kinds of things recently, like osteo, you know, osteonecrosis, which is, mm-hmm. you know, the the jaw basically is falling apart, you know, the bone, right. you know, it's necrotic, and depression, you know, long term mm-hmm. depression. Depends on where, of course, you get the the radiation, but I think it's something that's starting to come out in the literature. It's not the same as the radiation issue we're talking about with cell phones, but this is like, I think the information, it's new information to me. That's a patient safety issue because. Somebody gets depressed, you know, after 10 years of after they've had the radiation, and you realize, yes, this is ra- this is actually radiation driven, you know, and the literature is starting to show that. So, and of course, people aren't told that. 
And that's the thing, and that's what's happening, I think, with the cell phones, because as you mentioned, radiation, I just read an article today about some of the the things that are on the rise, and depression is on the rise, and, and some, there are some links, as you said, between depression and radiation, and it could be these constant low levels of radiation that we're being subjected to at every turn. I mean, cell phone towers are masked. They're inside uh, gas station signs. They're in church steeples. They're in fake boulders. In, in Arizona, there's cactus and yuccas. If you look closely, they are radiation towers. But we're not aware of that, so we don't even wow. know where we're yeah. where we're getting it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's. Oof. I didn't know that. You yeah. didn't know the conversation was going to go there today, did you? <laughs> I was hoping. I was hoping you'd have some really good information, and here it is. I'm like going to start looking under every cactus I find. <laughs> well, Pat, Pat told me to look under the cactus and the yucca plants. <laughs> As you walk away with all the prickles all over you, right? <laughs> right. Well, I found it. <laughs> oh, my. Well, um, yeah, this is great information. I think it's just really beginning. And so you've been having people on your show that are talking about this? I have not. I, I, I'm I'm wondering if this is the route I need to be going. I've had people come to me and say that, that some experts that want to be on the show. So, no, I have not had experts talking about this yet. I'm just beginning to uncover it myself and uh, questioning if that's the route I want to take the program. So I'm kind of, right, in, the, right, right, yeah, I'm right. kind of in the throes myself as to what direction to, to go. I mean, in the very beginning of the show, I made it a point not to be political, I'm not going uh, there because, you know, I want people to understand patient safety and, and not turn them off. And as you said, this topic is kind of controversial. So I've got to, I've got to think about how and what I'm going to do with this information. But uh, sharing it with you today. Well, I'm really grateful for that because um, I'm, I, I'm sorry that people didn't call. Uh, usually patient safety is, but... I, I get usually get a lot of calls for that, but they're probably riveted to their phones, and especially this topic. Yeah, you know, it's just, I mean, I love it because it's such an industry. I mean, it's so much a part of our existence, that, and the industry is so huge and so profitable that it's a hard, it's a hard nut to crack. And so I, I do say, tread, you know, I can see why you're treading lightly on this one, or at least really giving it some good, good pat thought before you dive in, you know, I'll bring it out. Well, thank you. You know, and I appreciate you so much and what you do for people because you're actually helping people one-on-one, and boy, do people need that. I get phone calls, and I'm not equipped to do that because I don't have that background, and I wish you were in my backyard and my back pocket because, uh, yeah, so many people need you and what you Mm -hmm. do. Very important. Well, yeah, thank you, everybody. You know, everybody needs an advocate. You know, there are many faces of advocates, but I really think you Everybody needs it. But anyway, i got to let you go. I'm very sad about that. But, um, Pat, as always, I really appreciate your time. And, again, I encourage everyone to get your book, Speak Up and Stay Alive, and listen to the radio radio show because it's great. And it's funny, too. So, uh, <laughs> Especially when Harry's on. Yeah, right, exactly. There you go. I love it. Okay, well, thanks so much, Pat, for taking thank the time. You, I so appreciate it. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, everyone, that was Pat Rulo. I think it was an amazing show. Um, can't ask for anybody better on the show. Uh, well, it was great. And, again, I look forward to hearing um, our next show, which should be in a couple weeks. 
just firming up the guests, hoping uh, you'll listen in again. And thank you all for taking the time to listen to the show. And um, have a great evening. Thank you.